episode of Between the Bytes, weekly discussions on IT, cybersecurity, and business. And we are joined today by Gary Arnold and James Fair. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I just got back from vacation, so I'm, I'm doing fantastic. That's right. No jet lag? Oh, uh, okay. That's true. I got, I, when you leave at 10 p.m. on Sunday and arrive at noon on Monday, there's <laughs> definitely jet lag. Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> it's a long way. I took spoiled air. I got the uh, Delta One seats. So, yeah. Very nice. Very yeah, nice. It was, it, was okay, it was okay, for sure. We'll have to uh, save your stories for our travel podcast coming soon. I love it. Let's do it. That's right. It's all the craze, right? Today, we're going to talk about a handful of different articles that have come up or stories that have come up and some other things related to those articles and kind of get James your thoughts on a handful of these. The first one we have is NVIDIA launching their GE Force RTX 3090 Ti, which is a very long name for a very high powered $2,000 GPU. Yeah. My thought when I first saw something like this and all of its processing power is the equivalent to getting a camera that shoots in 8K. Can computer monitors and TVs and things keep up to the point where having a graphics card that highly powered actually make a difference? And what other thoughts do you have on that? Well, we are seeing a big rise in the 4K gaming and the cards that said they could do 4K gaming really weren't up to speed to handle that much traffic at one time. So and honestly, I see this and I think, oh, this is for the crypto world. <laughs> this is, you know, this is a miner waiting to happen. You know, when you've got that much power, that's a crypto tool for sure. As well, and it's not just for that. I don't want to say it is. There's certainly gamers who will spend that much. I recently upgraded to a 3060, which was a $600 price tag. So it was a lot. About every five years, I'll, I'll replace my computer. And then about every couple of years, I'll replace a video card. And that allows me to keep up to speed with the gaming needs. I am not running 4K gaming, however, and this thing is a beast and I don't want to spend $2,000 on just a video card. That just, I think my wife would have a conniption if I asked her for that much money. <laughs> she was already like, how much? And I'm like, this is all that's available these days. It's also for the, if you think of people that do a lot of rendering, so animation houses, things like Pixar, those folks are going to be buying these to be able to do rendering for sure. But I'll bet the majority of the purchasers of this stuff is going to be crypto people. I don't have a doubt in my mind that's what it's for. They've got the money to purchase them and and they want that much hardware. One thing I thought about, my first thing that came to mind for me when I saw this was, wasn't there a ban in California that prevented us from using so much power? And I looked it up and it, apparently it's, it's about pre-built systems only. If you build a custom rig, it doesn't apply. But California is, since 2016, has been putting into place limitations on how much power a pre-built computer from Dell, Alienware, et cetera, can use. And it does scale a bit with the size of the machine and some things like that. But over five years, like 2016 and 2021, they were rolling out this limitation, which is preventing some manufacturers from... And of course, there was a whole bunch of clickbait about, wow, now we're not going to have gaming PCs in California anymore. And that's certainly not true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was everywhere, man. Like, oh, you know, California's banning gaming PCs. Buy them now before they're gone. Not quite true, but I have to wonder if this one, this bad boy uses 450 watts of power. I know for many years now, computers will have a 450 watt power supply, which means they're not using anywhere near that amount, but all things by themselves. This is going to require like an 850 watt power supply because 450 of that, so more than half of that will be devoted just to this video card. That is absurd. So your lights in the house are going to dim when this thing turns on for sure. 
<laughs> soon these custom built computers are going to need the same outlet that a dryer uses in the house just right. to keep <laughs> the, the, 220. the 220 that's what it is yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i thought we were supposed to be getting more efficient yeah this is definitely headed away from that yeah get rid of your gas guzzlers while the gaming community is over here right <laughs> doing the opposite that's pretty funny and again, I think it appeals to people who are know they're going to draw that much power. But for those that don't, yeah, if someone's spending $2,000 on a gaming card, they better be prepared for a power bill that matches it. No kidding. <laughs> and the heat, just the heat in the room alone. Like in my office, when I run that video card playing a game, I have to have the door open. Uh, in the summertime, I often put a fan in here because it'll get too hot. I've got, you know, I've got a couple of machines in here. But yeah, I just can't imagine how much heat that bad boy puts out. <laughs> no kidding. This takes up triple slots too. So you have to have the space in your motherboard to be able to do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Most of them are doubled these days. This is a triple. A beast in all ways. Oh, yeah. I guess, though, that brings up the question, James, is for the rest of us normal folks that won't ever spend $2,000 on a graphics card, let alone the entire PC, <laughs> what should we be looking for in terms of maybe specs or names or things to avoid or to get? And we have discussed this on the podcast before, but I think it's always a great reminder. If you're in the market for a new computer, what should you look out for? Yeah, it's a great question. We'll start with a processor. AMD has its own line. So I'm going to just talk about the Intel processors for a little bit. The i-series is the most common one we see out there. So we have the i3, which is really kind of the entry-level processor. It's really devoted to people that aren't going to do a whole lot of power using, right? So internet use, or if you're running an office and surfing the internet, an i3 should be sufficient for you. If you're kind of a power user, you're doing some big Excel spreadsheets, maybe you do a lot of browsing, you do some gaming, certainly gaming will apply. The i5 processor is probably more applicable. Then we have the i7, which is kind of the top end of the i-series. There's actually an i9 now, but again, that's in the same category as this graphics card is, probably well outside of what anyone ever will ever need, unless you're a super gamer or an IT person. The i7, it's certainly most powerful, and I recommend it for servers, for businesses, you know, things like that. Anybody that's going to need a whole lot of power, a whole lot of number crunching rather than the i7, I suggest. And then one of the things to watch for, because a lot of folks will sell i7s and i5s, but they're previous generations. So the first number you, you see in those i-series cards is the generation of chip. So, you know, you may find a great deal on a seventh generation chip, but we're up to 11th generation now, which means that thing is going to run significantly slower than the same processor, an equivalent i5, but a 10th gen or 11th gen. So I would stick with 10th gen or 11th gen if you can afford it, maybe a little older if you cannot. Memory would be the next thing I would make sure you have plenty of these days. That is where everything is run. It's where it's very fast and it's meant to handle all the, without getting too technical here. I described it before as a whiteboard. When working on a whiteboard, it's very quick. When we turn off the power, it goes away. That's your memory. Nowadays, you want to make sure at least 16 gigs. Eight gigs does work. But we're seeing more and more where that's just not sufficient. And we're seeing a lot of swapping to the hard drive, which means it's slowing down. It's not running at full speed. So just by going to 16 gigs of RAM, you can increase the improvement dramatically of your computer. Chrome alone will take up six gig if you're not careful. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you open tabs like I do, where I've got 20, 30 tabs per browser, then yeah, you need a lot of memory. So 16 is plenty. 32 for anyone doing stuff like the Adobe Photoshop or Lightroom or any of those products. But 16, certainly recommended. Hard drive space really is not much of a thing these days. I think everyone's putting out solid state drives. There are still hard disk drives out there. I would certainly steer away from them. The speed difference is phenomenally different. Solid state drives are absolutely the way to go. 
I don't want to get too technical into there. There's M2 drives now, which are even faster versions of solid state drives. But for the average user, any kind of solid state or M2 drive will work just fine. I think that should cover it pretty well. Yeah, fantastic. Great advice. Okay, we've covered our hardware topics. I do want to do a hard right turn into familiar territory for this podcast, but different from this episode of cybersecurity. I've been seeing articles here and there across the web. I haven't had it happen to me personally, but people are talking about getting spam texts from their own number. James, tell us what's the play there. How is that happening to begin with? Because I think it can make sense with emails, at least, and maybe that's a podcast for another time of how people can make (laughs) it look like you got an email from yourself. Yeah. But for texts, it seems a lot harder to have pulled that off. What's going on there? Much like email, you can absolutely spoof the source origination number where things are coming from. We were, I don't want to say me personally, but this was going on back in the 90s where people would get phone calls from their own number or looking like it came from their own number. And businesses could purchase a phone number that wasn't necessarily their phone number and use that as the number that would show up in your caller ID, right? And I call it A&I. So that's been going on for quite a while, and this is no different. This is just simply using text and the same kind of method. We're going to just send a number that isn't our own. It's technically illegal, at least in the United States. You have to have an originating number that is something they can call back and get someone. But yeah, it's it happens all the time. I, I, unfortunately, I must have signed up for something somewhere, and now I get, I think I've blocked most of them, but it was like every day I would get something about my AT&T bill, even though I wasn't with AT&T or it was, a, it was my business phone, right? I would get this... You know, click here for your AT&T bill. It was obviously a, a fake uh, link. But those were coming every single day. And I would block the number and then another number would show up. I'd block that number, another number would show up. And if you call that number, you'll find some poor person, you know, some guy or gal who's, who actually has that number that they just used to spoof. And then that poor person's like, I didn't call you. What are you talking about? I mean, it happened to me. I've gotten calls where people say, you know, why did you just text me that, that link? And I'm like, I dude, sorry, I did not. So unfortunately, you can. it's pretty easy in this technology to send whatever number you want. And this is just a way to fool you into believing it's safe by, oh, I recognize that number. I'll click on it. I mean, it must work, right? They wouldn't do it unless someone somewhere fell for it, unfortunately. So please don't fall for those. Don't fall for the AT&T bill ones or whatever your carrier is. If they send your bill to you via text, it's probably not true. Go online and, and check it that way instead. It's going to be tough, just like it is tough for email providers to figure out that the email isn't coming from yourself and block it. This is just the same kind of thing. How do you know which ones are and are not really coming from you in order to successfully remove those? This is a tough battle for these folks. The ones that always get me, they're at least get me close. Every time I see them, I get a little nervous, but immediately let it go is the Amazon receipts that are fake. Right. They'll come through, you know, your card successfully been charged $1,298. For that split second, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> what have I? This is a scam. Amazon doesn't text me. It did decrease for me. I must have blocked enough. I mean, it was like 30 or 40 or maybe 50 I was up to mm-hmm. before they started to kind of slow down. I guess maybe they stopped randomizing. I don't know. But they have, knock on wood, they have slowed down for now. James, in, in addition to obviously just staying aware of the latest techniques that hackers are using and just being cautious and suspicious basically all the time, is there technology that can help on the mobile side of protecting yourself. We have anti-ransomware, we have endpoint protection for our computers. Is there an equivalent for phones? Yeah. Yeah. Most AV providers will also have a mobile app that you can use 
it won't prevent those texts from coming in, but it would prevent you from going to the site. You know, if it was Amazon and you fell for it and you clicked on it, it would come up and say, whoa, that's not a safe site to go to. So yeah, I would absolutely encourage people to run some kind of a mobile app from an antivirus provider. I don't know if you want to name names here or not, but. You say that on just an individual basis, look those up and get signed up or from a business perspective, because I feel like it's relatively rare that you see that get implemented for a business. And again, people have their personal phones. We can't mandate how people use their phones, but you know, what's the story there? Yeah. uh, For a corporate device, if if the company is providing you a telephone, then absolutely. I would encourage businesses to do that. We're a large enough MSP that our provider will give us some of those for free, for instance, for our employees. So we'll provide that for free for our employees. But for personal, yeah, I mean, it has some overhead, just like it does on your computer. There's no doubt about it. It's going to use a little bit more power than than we'd hoped. And it'll draw some of your battery, that your precious battery power. But if it prevents you from going, if, if you've done it once, then this will prevent you from doing it more. So I'd certainly recommend it. That's for sure. Can't hurt. Layers of security. There it is. There's the other catchphrase. Layers of security and multi-factor authentication. Yeah, for That's sure. Right. Yep. The whole point of any of these texts or same with the phishing emails is they're just looking for an emotional response for you to stop thinking clearly and panic, basically, which is why you get so many different themes of look at this shiny object to we've successfully charged your card to your package was lost in the mail that you never ordered. Flight was late. That's when I got while traveling. That one almost got me because it came in. My flight was late. And I'm like, what? I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not flying for three days. How do you know it's late? So so at certain times, if you read those, they look ridiculous, but it's just either the wrong person at the wrong time. And when it comes to the volume that they send out, they will inevitably find the right person at the right time and make them panic just enough to stop thinking yeah. and hurry and click a bad link and enter in their login information to try and see what's going on. And just to Gary's point earlier, what I have come across when I did some research on this was that it does and I hate to name names, but it seems to be the majority of the complaints of late of getting text from your own number came from Verizon users. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are certainly other platforms as well. And Verizon is encouraging you to forward those texts onto what they call spam 7726. So that will help them block those in the future. So that, that may be one option. And I suspect all the other carriers probably have something as well, equivalent as well. Well, thank you, James and Gary, for joining and talking about all of this, especially James with your uh, jet lag still (laughs) probably hanging in just a little bit. Hopefully my voice is is okay. (laughs) We gave you a few hours to get over it basically before before we put you on camera, but keep you posted. And there are definitely some new things coming up here in the near future that are very interesting and we'll see how that's pan out and talk about those in the future. So Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you guys on the next one. Look forward to it. Take care, everyone. Thanks, guys.